listening to the Story Embers podcast, a podcast dedicated to guiding and inspiring Christian storytellers to glorify God with excellent craftsmanship. I'm your host, Grace Livingston, and welcome to episode 37, Crafting Irresistible Plot Conflicts. I'm Grace Livingston. I'm Josiah DeGraff. I'm Rolina Hatfield. And I'm Dare Slam. And today, as mentioned in the episode title, we're discussing plot conflicts. We all know that in some stories, the conflict just immediately sucks the readers into the story, but others, you know, kind of, they can kind of fall flat from the start. So today we're going to take a look at how to create those plot conflicts that you, you just can't let go of. Before we get into that, though, I have to interject here and plug our upcoming virtual summit. We are so incredibly excited to be announcing that our annual summit will be taking place April 22nd through the 24th. And this year, we're talking all about engaging plots. So if you enjoy diving into today's episode on plot conflicts, be sure to check out the homepage for the summit since we'll be taking an intensive look at what makes memorable plots. I'll put a link to the summit page in the show notes for you to check out, and I'll share more info about the summit in our mid-episode break. With that, let's jump into today's episode where we're tackling engaging plot conflicts specifically. How about we start off with some good old examples? I'm going to make you go first, Josiah. What are some examples of irresistible plot conflicts that you've read? I would say that, at least for myself, most of the plot conflicts I find to be irresistible are ones where I actually don't know how the story will turn out. I feel like there's a lot of stories where you really do know how the story is going to go out of, oh yes, this Dark Overlord will actually be overthrown. Oh yes, this girl will get together with this boy. And there's not really, the the only question is how is it going to happen? Not will it happen Um, or not. And, And some of the stories that for me have the most irresistible plot conflicts are the ones where the author has really put forward a lot of work in, in order to to raise legitimate questions on, on how is this going to work. So, so two stories that come to mind. Both are books I read this year. Uh, one is Breakwater um, by Catherine Jones Payne, which I uh, absolutely love. Um, she's actually, you know, she's one of our, our speakers at our upcoming summit, speaking about plot. And one of the reasons why that book had such an irresistible plot conflict is it's you know, dealing with this young woman who sees you at the in the ver- in the first chapter sees her fiance murder one of his servants right and she's trying to fight for justice and because of the way that the society is set up the, i think the story makes it very clear that you know they might not actually succeed this might be one where that the society really is not savable and so that's part of the question of is this society one that's able to to accept and give justice or not um and i don't want to explain how she calls it into question without spoiling things but suffice it to say, she makes it that you know, you're, there's a legitimate question in the reader's mind of it, will they succeed or not. Um, the other book that I think of when I think of this is uh, Children of Virtue and Vengeance um, by Tomi Adeyemi, uh, which is a sequel to the first book in the series. One of the reasons why that story's plot conflict was irresistible is because the two protagonists are on the two opposite sides of the conflict and are both leaders of that side of the conflict. And, and you kind of sympathize with both of them. But you also see the issues with both of them. And so as they're kind of dueling it out for control of the country, you really don't know what's going to happen because you're really rooting for both. But you also see why it is that they probably won't be able to work together. And so both of those are, are two things that come to my mind um, because I think for me, what makes a plot conflict irresistible is find a plot that's where the outcome is it's actually in doubt for the rear. It's not just supposed to be in doubt when the rear kind of already knows what's going to happen. It was hard for me at first to think of 
what books really had a compelling plot. For some reason, that's not something that I remember so well. But I thought of three books that stood out to me. The first one is actually a slower paced book as far as exciting plots go. I mean, it's plenty exciting. It's The Scorpio Races. The book is set on an island, I think off the coast of California, but it's imaginary. It's fantasy. And it's set about this race that happens every year on these magical flesh-eating horses that are almost uncontrollable. And it's about um, a young boy and girl who are entering the race, one for love of the horses, another one to pay off debt so her family can continue to live together. And that one, although the pacing was great and there was high stakes and everything, what really drove the plot home was how well it was connected to little details of the society and the people's lives and what they loved and their relationships with other people. It wasn't like the characters are over here and the plot's over here, but it was just so well intergrained. Everything really mattered to you and then the stakes became super real. Um, another book, oh, actually a, a series, is The Dark Water Saga by uh, Patrick W. Carr. I've been reading that recently. Um, I'm two books through the trilogy, so I don't know how it ends. But what he's done really well in there is to show you the protagonist fighting blind. The enemy is very far ahead of the good guys in planning. And so they have to scramble to keep up to figure out what's actually happening, you know, who's friend or foe, um, even things about their, their own past and the nature of the world. So there's a lot of mystery built into the plot. And so not only are you asking, like, is this protagonist going to win? But like, are they even fighting on the right battlefield? And so there's so much that could go wrong because you know so little. So that's a great book. I, I recommend you read that series. And then another series is the Six of Crows duology, which is a fantasy heist series. I guess I just really love heists in general because it's um, a big audacious goal that's almost impossible to carry out. But these crazy characters don't believe in the impossible, so they do it anyways. And that always really gets to me. I do love a good heist. The heists are good. <laughs> I think for me, some of the most irresistible plots that I've read kind of have to do with what Josiah was talking about. It was a little bit of a twist where you as the reader don't really know what's going to happen but you think you do. And I absolutely love books like that because, well, first of all, I've been reading Dory by Robert McKee. And in there, he's been talking about, he's a, he's a screenwriter, but he talks about how intelligent we as an audience feel when we enter into like a movie theater and we sit down and we intake the story and we're emerged in the story. And it just makes you feel so smart. You're like, you guys have probably done this, right? It's not just me where you like yell at the screen and you're like, what are you doing? You shouldn't go in there. Or like, you should have done this. Come on. Like everybody knows that. And then like the character ends up doing something else and then the plot twist happens and you're like, oh, I see why that happened. But for me, there's a couple of books that like really did that for me. The first one is definitely Daughter of Deep Silence by Carrie Ryan. That's one book that like just excellent in every way. Like every time I think of good characters or plot or something, I'm always, oh, Daughter of Deep Silence. Just such, such a good, um, for me, plot, I think is one of the biggest things that stands out for that book. But it's, it's about a girl who, who witnesses a political terrorist attack and she is on a raft because they were on a cruise and so she's on this raft with another girl of a big political leader of that time and the daughter of that political leader ends up dying right before they're rescued and this girl and her look very similar and so they end up she ends up trying to pretend to be this person's daughter by her father's leave and um, he he suggests actually that she be pretend to be his daughter and then she has all these schemes and plots that come 
up as, of course, she's like really bitter about the whole thing because in the attack, her parents are both murdered before her eyes. And so she has this whole scheme about what she's going to do and how she's going to figure out who was behind this attack. And like all along the way, each scene had such a purpose in the story. And each scene I was like, oh, I bet I know what this this girl is going to do. Um, in this scene and what she's trying to accomplish. And then she surprised me and something else would happen. And the whole story, I'm like, no, 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 don't go down the path of revenge. And she just keeps going and going and going and figuring out different things that have to do with the attack. And I keep trying to guess what she's going to do next. And I just couldn't keep up with Carrie's writing and what this girl was going to do next. So I loved that story. And then the second one I think of is The Progeny by Tosca Lee. Um, Such a good book. It's about a girl who is living in this quiet town and she wrote a letter to herself to not dig into her past but of course like that makes her want to dig into her past so she starts digging into her past and finding out a lot of like horrific things that have happened and the whole book is is about her regaining her life because she went through some um, memory erasing Um, so it's a really 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 cool plot each step of the way you learn something new about her past I tried that whole time like just to guess but Tosca definitely kept me on the edge of my seat I couldn't figure out what she was going to do next So any story where I'm, I think I know what's going to happen and then something unexpected happens. I'm like, oh yes, that was, that was really good. And that's the most irresistible plots for me. One of the things that strikes me from what you said, Rolene, is just the importance that characters really play in all of this. You know, that sometimes we talk about characters and plot, like they're two very different things. We talk about, you know, characters versus plot and plot-driven stories versus character-driven stories. And, and we sometimes treat them as different subjects. But one of the things that stood out to me is that, you know, for a plot to be surprising, the best surprising plots hinge on the decisions that characters make. So that in some way, your ability to craft realistic authentic three-dimensional characters who are not immediately predictable is one of the most powerful things you can bring to the plot of your story why don't we flip the coin and look at the other side y'all have shared some irresistible plot conflict examples but what about the resistible ones like resistible plot conflicts i i I don't know if that's how that works i like that i like that (laughs) we'll roll with it then what are some examples of resistible plot conflicts you all have read well, I've been uh, skimming through a lot of books to review for my library, my school library, to make sure they are appropriate um, before we put them out on shelves or so I have the miniature content label and such. And all I will say is that I have read far more YA romances than I ever have, and many of them are very resistible for me. <laughs> so make of that what you will. What made them resistible, Josiah? Um, I part of it is that look, this isn't this isn't my genre. Girls obsessing over which guy is the most attractive, you know, not something I I feel like I have much care or, or experience in. Not one of those those things that I ponder. Um, I mean, the other thing is there 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 are there have been a few exceptions, but you know, a lot of these are very predictable. Um, you know, I've read enough that after reading the first couple chapters, I can give a pretty good educated guess on which pages of the book that the big kissing scene is going to happen because I'm now familiar with, with that trope and that genre. Here's where you know the we're going to break up scene is going to happen. It's probably going to come after the big physical scene of the book as you get that. Then everything's going to dash to pieces. That's all going to be made up at the end. Uh, it's a combination of predictable tropes and also some of these I just don't really have the experience to sympathize with the protagonist in such matters. So 
Yeah. Not going to lie. It sounds like you're describing every Hallmark movie ever. Yes. The, the difference is that the Hallmark movies are probably more PG than some of these books I've had to read. I'm like, nope, let's uh, not put this in our school library. Or this definitely needs a mature content label on it. One of the things you pointed out, Josiah, is that predictable tropes can get boring at times. And the flip side of that is that tropes that really break genre expectations or cliches really stand out and grab our attention. I've never actually seen anyone do this, but a story I would love to read is like some 80-year-old curmudgeon grandpa who's like the chosen one in some portal fantasy world story and has to go over to that world and and save it. And maybe has like a, a cat along with him or something, you know, something you totally don't expect. This can be different things. It can be someone who's more daring than you expect. It can be, like I said, a character who doesn't fit the typical role or a relationship between characters. But when you we change when you change one of these really expected factors up, it can change how the whole story plays out. Like it could still fit the, the general genre beats, but they'll look so much fresher and newer. Like it said that the Star Wars saga was basically the traditional Western story but in space and it feels so fresh and new but it's like the traditional western story but because it's in space we're like wow this is amazing this is new this is creative and it grips our attention that's a really interesting thought deus you have me thinking just because for me i think that i've read a few books where they did make something new like they added a fresh change to it but it was still the same plot if that makes sense so like they put new elements into a cliche story and that didn't do it for me like that still was kind of resistible to me only because um I was like okay well instead of love triangle they like just switched it up and instead of like two guys and a girl they did or two girls and a guy and like it just wasn't any different I felt like plot wise the emotions were a little bit different just because of like the dynamics but there wasn't anything like different enough that made it unique that made it irresistible maybe it is for me this is kind of based off of something Josiah said before, maybe it's how, when I, when I have like a book that I'm like, that was an irresistible plot. That book I would say is one of my favorite books with the best plot I've ever read in it, is when all of the story elements come and help support that plot and everything ties together. So like the characters are empathetic and authentic and they drive the plot and the plot drives them when everything fits together. I love that when an author like invites me into a story and and pats me on the head and calls me smart and then like blows my mind because they're taking all of the story elements to support this plot idea that they have. And that's what makes it so unique for me when they just just see unexpectedness. Um, so that that could be like you're saying, Deus, like some new elements to bring that about. Um, but it just really depends on like how they're using the new elements. Because I think just like switching a character from young to older, like putting in a, 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 a pet pig instead of a pet dragon, <laughs> fantasy or something like that um, which would be really unique if you had a pet pig <laughs> maybe it could fly or something but I think just switching the elements like that doesn't necessarily change the uniqueness of the plot for whatever that's worth I think for me it's all of the story elements working together to create um, a plot that is so unique it just blows my mind now and I I completely agree Rolina with everything you were saying if I can play devil's advocate for a moment though most of us have been talking in some way or another about the fact that a, a plot should be doing something new something different should be something unique but of course it's also a well-known saying that there's nothing new under the sun you know people have argued that you know in literature there's really 
only seven basic types of plots. There are tens of thousands of books published on Amazon every year. And so the question is, can we really be original in our stories or is originality just a myth? And how do we balance trying to be original while also recognizing that there are reasons why certain things work? There are reasons why the romance genre is by far the best selling genre today. Because even if the stories are a bit repetitive, that's ultimately aren't we going to stories to look for a specific type of feeling and isn't that often delivered through through the same way. So how, how do we deal with that as storytellers? Craft those plots that are irresistible, also recognizing that originality you know, without making an idol, maybe idol is the wrong word, but without making more of originality than we perhaps ought to. And that is a really good point, Josiah, because, I mean, our opinions are pretty objective because we're us. <laughs> but, like, what makes the romance genre? I know none of us are, like, huge romance readers, <laughs> myself included. But, like, what makes those plots irresistible to other people, too? One of the things that also strikes me in terms of, you know, how do we find stories that are original, but also we're also not trying to make more of originality than it needs to be. Not to go back to talk about characters in our episode on plot, but I really do think that when we're thinking about how do we make original plots, a large part of it does have to come down to original characters. Because even if there's only so many different ways you can do a plot, because that's just the way our plots work. The thing about characters is that characters are based on people and God never repeats people. You know, he just doesn't. So as we're imitating and creating authentic characters in his image, one of the things that we're able to do is we're able to create characters that, that really are unique. And I think a lot of what makes certain plots, there are some things that some authors do where it's a really original world building move or plot twist. But I think a lot of the times it really comes down to finding characters that are able to be unique and surprising enough because when you fit unique characters into a basic plot that basic plot is no longer going to feel basic because the unique character will bring enough to it they'll make the story feel quite different from what we expected and thus make it feel irresistible as a result I was reminded suddenly of a quote from G.K. Chesterton's book, Orthodoxy. He talks about how he says God is younger than us, I believe is what he says. And what he means is that God never gets tired of wonder, even though he's seen it forever. He has the, the same sun and rise every morning and, it, and it's glorious to him, whereas we get used to it. You know, it just reminds me that the books that are truer, truer about the meaning of life, as a whole, but also like the true experience of humans, both of those together. Those books, even if they don't have as many plot twists, prose isn't absolutely stunning. If they just ring so, so true, especially if it's in a surprising way that makes you stand back and, and think about life for a minute, those books are hard to get tired of. Like I think of The Lord of the Rings is really a philosophically deep book. And there are fantasy books that are as creative, I would say, or that have better so-called plots, like what happens is more exciting in the moment. But I... I don't get homesick for other fantasy worlds. I'm just like, okay, that was awesome and now I'm done. But with, with Middle Earth, I'm like, man, I just kind of feel like I haven't been there for, for too long. I need to go back. Even though if I reread it, I, I don't feel monotony. I feel like I am bathing in, in truth and reality. And so that, that really is a compelling plot in itself. Uh, I, I, not, not in itself. If, if you have a good plot, that really makes it stick. This is a bit random, but any of you know here that Tolkien was apparently a huge Conan the Barbarian fan? I didn't really know that. I think I heard he was inspired by it. I did not know. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, was, I did a research project on him a couple of years ago. I found this great book that was written back in the 60s on Tolkien, where the guy had actually interviewed Tolkien. And Tolkien actually, like, this, like, box full of Conan, the Barbarian, pulp fiction books in his basement, and talking about how much he enjoyed them and how it was one of his inspirations for writing The Lord of the Rings, which I just think is awesome. You know, because, you know, most people are talking about, oh, it was inspired by Norse mythology and great and fairy tales and folklore and, you know, great literary classics. All that's true. But there is also the pulpy Conan the Barbarian there that he's melding together, um, which I think is awesome. And I think we can also relate to this idea of what makes a irresistible plot is it's come from taking a bunch of awesome things like Norse mythology and traditional fairy tales and folklore and also Conan the Barbarian and mashing them all together and creating something awesome. I think it's really cool to think Tolkien, who every writer looks up to as an awesome author, read books that he enjoyed and loved, and then he pulled things from that that inspired him. And also if it was like, I haven't done any research, I'm sure Josiah, you know, where he got his inspiration from and stuff. So like coming back to the, how do we know if our plots are irresistible and how original should we be? I think that it is really good. I mean, we talked about examples in this episode, books that we have read. And I know some authors, when they're currently writing a book, they won't read books in that genre because they want to stay true to their story and not imitate, you know, what they're reading. But they've probably done a lot of research beforehand (laughs) so that they had like this information and inspiration ready to go in their head. And I think that um, when it comes to originality, for me anyway, I like having those ideas or like those um, examples of what I find to be an irresistible plot and then going, okay, how can I accomplish that? I'm sure that there are things that'll come up and I'll be like, okay, you know, I'll be inspired and I'll try to figure out, you know, something that I can do that's different in that genre um, and then see if it works. But I think it's also important to have those um, ideas in the back of your head and having those examples. So originality doesn't have to come from isolating yourselves from um, stories or from reading. We'll be right back after this break. Stay tuned. Too many writers make these mistakes. They can't finish novels because they don't know where to take it. They settle for shiny gimmicks instead of developing truly original concepts. They waste time crafting elaborate outlines that don't actually help their stories. Here at Story Embers, we believe that if writers learn to use their imaginations in the way that God exercised his creativity, they'll finally thrill readers with gripping storytelling. That's why we're gathering 10 plus expert Christian authors, editors, and coaches to teach you how to finally nail your novel's plot in our Engaging Plot Summit, April 22nd through the 24th. Follow the link in this episode's show notes to learn more and subscribe for updates about this upcoming event. Welcome back, everyone, to today's discussion. Now, I want to switch gears to applying some of what we've talked about so far with the difference between irresistible and resistible plot conflicts. Say I'm writing a piece. How can I tell if my plot's conflict is irresistible or resistible? One thing you can do from the inside to check whether your your plot conflict is really engaging is to think of the the concept of progression. Basically, this is how are things really interconnected. So in a story, you've got things like relationships that are being worked out, big problems the protagonist is trying to solve, the villain's evil plan. And you want to ask yourself each scene, is at least one of these things, these big things that are important to your story, progressing? And ideally, at all times, most of them are. You know, you can't focus on everything, every scene, but you want to have significant progress, not like, oh, in a relationship, like they said, hi, like that's not progress. Okay. <laughs> We're talking significant progress 
happening each seam. And if you have a gaps where you're not really having progress, then things may be happening, but that's really a dead spot in your story. Uh, and so you'll need to rework your plot in light of that. And also you want to have core areas where things are progressing. So your, your story is focused. And um, when you're writing, if you say bring up a, a point of relational strain or something that's really important to the protagonist they want to accomplish to provide meaning and purpose to their life. You don't want to have that be something that just lasts for like five chapters, then they figure it out and now you have a new something. You don't want it to be episodic. Like you want to keep building on that and um, go back and recycle what you've used, build on it instead of just having something new each time to be interesting. Now keep it like a progression that slowly mounts up and gets more and more intense. And then from the outside, because it really is hard to judge your own plot, seriously, give it to someone who will give you honest feedback. Editors are great, but maybe you're not quite at the stage where you're ready for that. And so something you can also do is just look for writers who are very serious minded. You might put out just a short story, something that's really easy for people to go through and just see who is it that really gives me honest feedback and then show your appreciation for them and maybe see if you can work something out so you can get some more feedback from them. Just keep asking around and you'll eventually find someone. Yeah, I want to jump on both of those recommendations, Deus, and ha add my hearty seconds to both of them. You know, one of the things that I've been doing with the recent novel that I finished is, you know, one of the things I did is I was writing it. In each chapter, you know, I, I wrote down, you know, a brief sentence for character, plot, and theme of how am I developing each in this chapter? Because it's a first draft. There are some chapters that aren't doing what it should be doing. But one of the things that allows me to do is it allows me to, you know, now, you know, I've got this document now. Or really, it's, you know, I'm using Scrivener, so it's a little, like, thumbnail. If I can just go down through the different files and look at the thumbnails to see, okay, am I revealing something? about the characters in each scene is the plot advancing meaningfully in each scene am i exploring some new aspect of the story's theme in some way it's a way of making sure that each chapter is essential you know you can certainly you know do more than it than just that it was something that was just very quick after finishing a chapter just write down in the thumbnail boom 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 you, these three things um, but something that helps me make sure I'm keeping things on pace and developing the different parts of the story. The other thing I want to add with on the feedback front um, is I absolutely agree that, you know, there are certain things we can do ourselves to figure out how base or unique our plot is. But we also get uh, caught up within ourselves way too easily as authors. And I think that gaining that outside perspective is really important. And one of the things I've been doing over the past five months um, with a, a new story that I'm about to work on, I hope to. By the time this episode airs, I'll probably be well into the the first draft of it. Um, is I've been you know participating in a in a higher end coaching program through the Young Writer, where I've been getting feedback not on the draft of the book, but just on the concept and the outline um, from Brett Harris and Kara Swanson. And getting feedback on the outline before I've even written the novel is something that I think will change the way I approach stories because. I see immediately just how helpful it is in that not only is it the importance of getting feedback from really skilled people in the field, but also these changes are so much easier to fix when it's just a matter of fixing the outline when it's like, okay, I've got 300 pages now I need to go back and fix. And I have grown so much, I think, through not only getting external feedback, but also getting a time where it's very easy to fix because sometimes when you've written 300 pages, part of the question is not only would this be better, but it's also, okay, do I really want to put in 50 hours of work to change this, uh, you, you know, or maybe, maybe it won't be 50 hours, but there's a greater cost to doing it. And the benefit of gaining a lot of feedback on the concepts and how irresistible your plot is before you've written it 
is it, it, it relieves some of that pressure so that I can look at these changes and these suggestions more fairly. And so I absolutely agree of both making sure every scene is essential, but also getting feedback. In my mind, you know, the earlier you can get it in the process, the better it will be to make sure that your plot is as irresistible as it can be. That was a pretty irresistible pitch, Josiah. So how much does it cost? <laughs> That's another conversation for another time. It's uh, it's high up there, <laughs> but it's uh, quite worth it in my book. Do you have any thoughts, Rolina? I don't have much to add. I definitely agree with all of those. I worked with my critique partner, actually, on my outline before I even started writing this draft I've been doing. And it was super helpful and had a lot more confidence going into the book, knowing that someone had helped me figure out, okay, is this going to be, you know, good and worthwhile working on for sure. I guess one other thing I thought of I like to do is printing off parts of my book and reading it, trying to read it as if I was a reader instead of like being the writer. So like setting it aside as like my little baby and reading it as if I was like opening a fresh book with a pretty cover and all of that and just kind of coming at it from a, okay, does this keep my interest? <laughs> because I found there's some like drafts I've written scenes I'm like, this one doesn't keep my interest. And it definitely ties into what Josiah was saying about it wasn't integral. It didn't have any development, like Dave was saying to or any progression in the story. So it helped me figure out which scenes I needed to take out and what I needed to put in. So like reading through it and like if it keeps your interest is one way as well to do it. And then yes, definitely be brave and send it out to people for their opinions because that is super helpful. Now starting to wrap up here, what are some random tips or tricks you all have used to craft more irresistible plot conflicts? Just fire away, list them off. Make the antagonist someone your protagonist cares about. That was basically the tip I had either either that or I, I love stories where there's that one scene where you can almost sympathize with the villain. And then of course you realize, oh my goodness, no, because normally you know, it's advocating for something that's clearly wrong. It's like, okay, you shouldn't do that. But I think giving the villain a not just a sympathetic reason, but a reason that you could almost get, but you don't, um, I think that does a lot for a story in this regard. Uh, another thing I realized is kind of um, a quirk of my writing, but you can borrow it too, is having the, the character think they know um, what they really want in life, but then realize that it's actually something a little more nuanced. And it's not just like the difference between their want and what they need. It's like, no, what they want that you don't even quite understand, which is which is really true to how I experience life. It's like sometimes I don't even know what I want. And that, that leads to a lot of, it's really like a plot twist in a more internal way. And so it changes how you view the whole story. One tip I use for myself is thinking through when I'm putting together a plot or working on the plot, thinking through other books that I find irresistible. Just seeing how other authors do it is really helpful for me, I guess. And then kind of like figuring out how they did that and like how I can achieve that in my story, whether it's something similar to what they did or whether it's something different. Thank you guys for joining me on this episode, and thanks to all of you listeners who tuned in. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Do you have a topic or question you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast? Email us at info at to let us know. And as always, special thanks to our Patreon supporters, Taylor Cloxton and Michael Stanton. Want to help us better guide and inspire Christian storytellers? Visit patreon.com slash to become a supporter and get access to exclusive Story Embers updates, swag, and more. Finally, join me again on April 19th as Hope, Josiah, and Gabby talk about how to overcome your story's sagging middle in the next episode of the Story Embers podcast.
Also, she saw her fiancé murder someone in the first chapter? What? It's quite the first <laughs> chapter. I was not prepared for what I was going to read in that first chapter. I was expecting just a normal standard fantasy mermaid book. I'm reading, reading the first chapter. I'm like, oh, okay, this, this, this fiancé is a bit strange. I... I feel like I don't 100% trust it. We'll see. And then in the chapter, he murders her. I was like, okay, that's where the story is going. <laughs> Holy cow. It was amazing. 